You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul critiques the commonplace human assumption that the animals are like us, noting that in Scripture it is the human beings who are like all the other animals. As with the New Testament, where the ikonomos is no different than the other slaves in the household, so too, in Genesis, man's appointed responsibility does not make him different than any of the other earth mammals. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, and everything that moves upon the earth. In the RSV, we have creepeth upon the earth, which is sharas, which is the verb swarm. So here you see the jump. We have breed. Creep, moves, it's different verbs. That's not the original. The original is of the essence because the author is imposing upon you to realize that this is how life goes and everything that swarms upon the earth. And lo and behold, after their kinds, in RSV, very important, after their kinds, but in RSV, RSV stuns you like six, seven times throughout the Bible. One of those times is that it uses the original families, mishpachot, the plural of mishpacha, and in my book, I made clear how the understanding, the definition of a word is linked to its first appearance in the text. And the word families that is going to be used in chapter 12 with Abram appeared already here in chapter 8, referring to the animals. That's why, and I said it several times, the human being cannot have this egocentric approach well, you have to look at the animals the way you see us. They are like us. No. According to Scripture, we are like the animals. But again, we're not talking here about pumas and hyenas and so on. Please. You know, we're talking about the flock, the animals that are around the human being and live with him. Be it as it may, it's very important. The... KJV says different kinds following the Greek. Kata, genos, genos, gender, kind. But I stick with the original Hebrew where we have all the families that come out. And indirectly you realize that this sharats applies also to the human being. You multiply, swarm or breed or whatever you have to hear it. It doesn't matter. We all know how it works. The human being is an earth mammal.
So by combining different verbs, multiplying, uh, growing, uh, breeding, and so on, to both the human being and the animal, establish in the ears and the minds of the hearers that we are functionally the same. The difference, and we see it in the letters of Paul, that the human beings is set as an economos. He is the top slave. He's not as though he's different. The economos is not different than the other slaves. It is by appointment of the master of the house that he is responsible for everything else. And we talked about that in detail in chapter one. And then we have the reaction of Noah, who built an altar and offered burnt offerings to the Most High on that altar. A couple of notes. Number one, the offerings here are total offerings, burnt offerings, meaning these are the offerings later we would hear about them, that disappear completely. Okay, let me make the connotation. You hear it in the Hebrew where you have the verb ala, wayal, and then ola. So we have a noun that is based on the root of the verb. Okay, and ala in Hebrew is clear. You go up. Go up to Jerusalem and up. I mean, that's what the word means. The airline of the modern state of Israel is El Al, unto the higher. Okay, that's what it means. Okay, so he offered total offerings to God. Notice later in the law that nothing remains for you, for the priest, and so on. It is as though this is. A total. This is the offering by burning in its totality, the top thanksgiving. And that is important in connection with the rest of the verbs, where we interestingly do not have the word alter earlier in conjunction with able. So here I want to make sure that the building of the altar of Noah is different than the building of Abel. Technically, in the case of Abel, we have, I'm going to read it to you. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. Notice, he is using the offering of the animals. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But at no point do we hear that Abel built an altar. Notice it's Cain who's going to build the city. So here we have the beginning of the turning of 
know why, if you like. And very soon we shall see that his life ended with himself emitting the curse when God had promised that there would be no curse. So it's a setup. And the passage between the two is the famous vineyard, as I keep repeating. In other words, ultimately Noah settled. And that's not good in scripture. So notice the terminology that he built that verb, which is negative, that was not used in the case of Abel. So here again, we have to be very careful when we say, but Abel made offerings and so on and so forth. In the text, it's not the same thing. And the Lord smelled the pleasing odor. I don't know about that. KJV has a sweet savor. Anyway, in the Hebrew, we have reyah, which is the same root as ruach. But we have it also in Arabic, a differentiation between the two. But it's the smell. Hanihoah, which is from the root of Noah and the root of the verb that we had in Genesis 2, how Adam enjoyed the earth. Okay, so that is in the original. But in the translation, it is as though an Orthodox would say, yes, they used incense from Mount Athos, you know, smells good. No, it's not so. Notice one more time the root reyah from ruah that brings enjoyment, satisfaction connected with Noah. And the reaction of God, I will never again curse the ground. And this curse is the verb kallel. We have two verbs for curse. Arar, that we heard earlier, arur, cursed. And the other one, to belittle. That's technically belittle. It's the pi'el form of kal. Remember, the first form of the verb is kal, which means simple, to make it less. We have it in Arabic, kallala. You know, to belittle the value of something. But what is interesting is that this verb is already looking ahead to Genesis 12, 3, where we hear that anyone who curses you will be cursed. In that text, we have kallel. Now, notice the interesting thing that earlier we had mishpaha, family, that is used in Genesis 12. And then Kallel that is used Genesis 12. But again, as Chrysostom and Augustine said, you have to wait. That's the great thing in scripture. You have to wait. Let me go to Mishpaha. You heard the first thing, Mishpaha. You figure out, okay, it's a collection of people together and so on. But then you hear it applied to the human beings and you remember that it was mentioned the first time with the animals. And here, the use of kalel looks ahead already to 12.3. So I shall not again curse anymore because of man. Remember Genesis 3. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Remember chapter 6 at the beginning. 
neither will I ever again destroy every living creature. And we have another verb from a root that means to smite, the same verb that will be used later by God when he destroys, like the first son of David, when he destroys Pharaoh and so on. So everything that I had done, and then while the earth remains, we said about that, everything will go back to its own way of natural being. And with this, we move to another setting. This chapter began with the setting of God remembering. The following one will be, and God blessed Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we shall hear the same intonation, words, mood of Genesis 1. In Jonah, meaning dove, it's kind of a silly animal. And in Hosea, it's the dove that flits around and it doesn't have a place to land. You can't count on it. But here in Genesis, the dove seems much more positive and not a silly creature. What's the connection with the dove in this passage and the dove that we have in Jonah and other places where it seems to be negative? Just follow the lead of Noah. Besides God, everyone can be bad or good, depending on the behavior. <laughs> the heifer is the same thing in Hosea, that if she's in heat, that's the idea that a dove gives the impression that it's going here and there. And uh, But I would say that one cannot connect it. In other words, let me go back to Hosea, that he is describing the activity of a heifer in heat. It's not that the heifer is good or bad. So this is the way I would look at it. Again, it's interesting to notice that the dove is a sign of peace, but let me quote you the Bible itself. Both in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you hear that the people say, peace, peace, but indeed there is no peace because the decision of God was to destroy Jerusalem. So the word, how shall I put it, functions, the action of a verb or a noun, functions according to the truthfulness of meaning which one can lose as in the case of Noah. One more time, I know my people are so tired of my bringing Plato always negatively, your question is based on a platonic value of the words describing the dove that goes back and forth. <laughs> it is as though it is essentially linked to that. No, actually, this dove was very smart. It didn't come back. And again, didn't come back means that perhaps you can make a sermon about it. She should have come back to know what to tell him that everything is fine and so. But these things are, I believe, questions from outside the text. It's the function of the word within the story. You see it in many of my commentaries in the New Testament. It's not good or bad is how it appears in the story itself.
the Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.